Hey, I love Mother's Day. You know, when you think about a mother, there's nothing more, you know, fierce than a mother. There's nothing more uh, inspiring than a mother. Um, but, but when you think about a mother that walks with Jesus, that's a level of power and legacy that is absolutely phenomenal. You know, this uh, week, I was just thinking about my mom, and, 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 and you know, I grew up married to uh, a, a Great Commission woman. I, 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 I was raised by a Great Commission mother. I get to serve the Lord with my mother-in-law here, and I have a Great Commission mother-in-law. This morning, we're going to look at the Great Commission. Matthew 28, open your Bibles there. Matthew 20, it's a great passage to look at on Mother's Day. And, and, and I, I just was thinking about my mom this week. I, I spent time with her yesterday, uh, my son's graduation from college. And, and you know, my, my mom and I were talking about uh, just some memories. Uh, I called her last night again just to re- refresh this one because uh, when my mom is 88 years old, and man, uh, that woman has instilled in me a passion for the gospel. Uh, just a few years ago, she was in her early 80s, and there was a lady that lived next door, not too far from her, and where, where she lives. And, uh, and this lady was, my mom was just reaching out to her and ministering to her and visiting her and, and witnessing to her. And she, gets, she got really sick really fast and was rushed to the hospital. And my mom called me and said, Chris, tears in her eyes, said, pray for me. I'm going to go visit her, and her entire family is in the hospital room, and, and pray that I'm a bold witness. I was like, okay, mom, I will. And she was just brokenhearted for this lady. She had such a heart for her. So she, she drives to the hospital, and she walks in the hospital room, and it's really packed. There's like 15 of her family members there. And, and like a like an evangelistic Billy Graham disciple. My mom walks into that room and just says, I've come to pray for you all. And in a whole crowded room, and now this lady, my mom was dear to her. And my mom uh, went in and, and just was the most incredible gospel witness to an entire lost room and was standing all by herself, but yet boldly, prayed over that lady and shared the gospel with everybody in the room. I'm so thankful for my great commission mother. And I I just sat down and wrote down some things um, about what a great commission mom looks like. And I just wrote down five things, and and I tried to get some good adjectives here. But but, uh, a great commission mother's prayer is uniquely powerful. I grew up with that. And moms, I want to challenge you as we think about today to walk with Jesus because a great commission mother's prayer is uniquely powerful. A great commission mother's voice is exceptionally life-giving. A great commission mother's touch is distinctively comforting. I mean, a mother's touch is always comforting. But, but when you have a great commission mother's touch, it's distinctive. This is something I experienced. A great commission mother's rebuke 
is matchlessly motivating. You ever been motivated by a mother's rebuke? Uh, but a great commission mother's rebuke, it's matchless. I, I, I've heard that from my, my wife, and I've experienced that motivating movement in my life. A great commission mother's example is unmistakably impacting. And so that's why today is a great day to look at the Great Commission. Now, if you have your Bibles, let's stand and let's just dig into it. It's Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. And we stand in honor of reading God's Word. It's just a statement to say, look, God, this is your Word to us. We'll pay attention to it. We'll, we'll, we'll focus our heart on it. And we'll dig into it. Verse 16, Matthew 28. <clears throat> now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. May you see it. I appreciate you making that statement. You know, you know the, a lot of commentaries will look at this passage and they will, they will describe it as the focal point of the New Testament. I, I, I get that. could be the focal point of the Bible. Um, you know, there's a lot of great moments in Scripture, but, but when, I, when I think about, um, I would argue that, that the most important moment in history was the resurrection of Christ. I mean, there's no more important moment in the history of the world than that moment, that, that Christ came and, 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 and died on the cross and then he rose from the dead. And let's, let's embrace some context of what we just read in the Great Commission because uh, Matthew 28, this is that Matthew's record of the conclusion of Jesus' journey on earth. And, and we, we know that, that at this point in the life of the disciples that they had watched him die and, and they had seen him now rise from the dead. Now, now that's a that's a life-changing experience. I mean, they were, uh, they, were, they were clearly in awe. Jesus had cle clearly had their attention, right? It gets your attention too. If you witnessed the, the death and, and the burial of somebody, and then uh, days later they show up and say, hey, what's up? You know, uh, the, Jesus had the, the attention of the disciples here. And, and, and it's interesting as, as you look at, at this passage, he, he, uh, the, the resurrection of Christ was, was a remarkable experience. These, these disciples saw it all take place right in front of their eyes and, and, and they, 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 they started to grasp the magnitude. We don't know exactly where this uh, was in the timeline necessarily. It's closer uh, to the end of Christ's ascension. He's about to ascend into heaven right before their eyes, and Acts 1.8 records this. But, but at this point, look at verse 16. It says, now, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, that's a fascinating head-scratcher to me. 
Because we know that Mary and the ladies, they didn't doubt. They weren't the ones who doubted. It's interesting, Matthew records, some doubted. Some of these people doubted. Well, goodness, who... I think this indicates a couple of things. I think this shows us that, that at this meeting on that mountain in Galilee, this was more than just the 11. I think more people were there. I think the disciples, when they got the message from Jesus saying, hey, meet me at the mountain of Galilee, the disciples that had already seen Jesus and talked to Jesus were like, no problem, we'll, we'll be there. I, I, I bet Thomas was there. I mean, I mean, Thomas had already had his doubts fixed up on, uh, I think Thomas had already seen Jesus, had touched his side, had, had, had seen Christ face to face. Peter and the rest of the disciples, they were in that locked room when, when Jesus went through that door and, and, and Jesus changed Peter's whole life in that moment when he said, peace to you. But, but, but then they gather, hey, go to Galilee, to this mountain, but, but some doubt it. You know, I think this little statement shows us something really important. And I don't want us to overlook it today. And if you're taking notes, the first point is this, that, that doubt is a forever battle for followers of Christ. Have you ever doubted after God moved in front of you? I mean, I, I think back of my life and and it's easy to get impatient with these doubters right here. Like, how can you doubt, fellas? Jesus is risen from the dead. How can you doubt? Uh, but, but I look back at my own life, and I can, man, I, I can point to moments in my life that God has so clearly moved that I have said out loud, I, I should never, ever doubt Christ again. There are many moments that that's happened in my life. Where, where, you know, like 1 Peter 3.15, um, I, I can relate to this. I've had people look at me and say, oh, you know what? You just are weak-minded because you have to have faith in Christ because you can't hope. You, you, you can't cope with the world. I've had lost atheists that will say that to me. And that's the, like to me, that has no relevance to me because I have watched God move in ways that it's unmistakable. It's not coincidence. It's not just circumstance. God moved in my life. But yet there are times, even though that has been true, I've still doubted. And doubt's a natural struggle for us. And, and the reason I think I want to I stop and shine a light here, because the disciples are doing something here. This group of people that are going to this mountain are doing something here that, that can help us with our doubts. Because um, I don't know about you, but doubts look different to me when I stop and Come face to face with Jesus. And, and I want you to notice something in the text here. This is the, 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 the 11 disciples went to Galilee, the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him. And notice this they, they went to Galilee. 
I guarantee you the disciples were saying, my my guess is, as I look at this text, uh, though it says the 11 were there, but I think they were going, hey, you got to come with me. Hey, dude, come on. All these people that they walked, come on. Jesus said, meet us at Galilee, and they're like, ah, come on. Let's go meet with Jesus at Galilee. Come on. And and notice this, they, they, they worshiped him. What is worship? It's it's giving worth to God. It's submitting to God. It's focusing on Christ. And you know what I found with my doubts? The times in my life, even even after seeing God move, one of the things I found in my life when I doubt that Doubts look different when I come face to face with Christ. And the disciples, they went to Galilee. And you know, it reminds me that the importance of seeking the presence of God. If you're doubting today, keep seeking the presence of God. Because the presence of God changes everything. We just sang that song that is such a beautiful rendition of numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. And I, I, I watched my granddaughter. We watched our granddaughter the other night. And her mom and dad walked in the door and her face was like, ah. and you know what, uh, follower of Jesus when I come close to the face of God. It puts a perspective on my doubts. And the disciples were seeking his presence. Jesus said, meet me at Galilee, and they went. And you know, I think it's fascinating. They went to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. You know, as they worshiped him, they, what, what, what are they doing? They're remembering. God, you have moved. And I don't know about you, but when I doubt, I start remembering, God, you've moved in little things. God, you've moved in big things. And I don't know, when you, when I doubt, it's helpful to remember to remind myself of the little and big ways that God shows up. Folks, I saw that this week. This week, I don't know if you followed kind of our journey this week, but I went to, I went to Houston on, on Monday and Tuesday. Harrison Mosby, we've been praying for, I think he's watching probably right now in Houston. We, he's, he's battling some, some, uh, a, t- a, a tough journey with cancer. Um, we actually have two church members that are, that are at MD Anderson. I got to see both of them, Brenda Williams and Harrison. And, and I get there, and, and I get there lit, late Monday night, and we hung out for a while, and then I was with his dad, and, and the next morning we get a text really early that his blood levels had dropped and that the hospital was out of O-negative blood. And we're like, oh, man, he needed O-negative blood because he's O-negative. 
And uh, I thought, well, shoot, I'm on negative blood. I'll give, I'll give right now. I'm here. Come on, let's go. So there's a blood thing at the hospital. So I opened their door that day on Tuesday. As the door opened, I'm like, hey, how's it going? Chris, I'm giving blood. And they, they, I got his number and stuff, this number. I was like, hey, I, I can't. You're out of no negative blood. I'm on negative. He needs no negative. I'm, here you go. And um, so we got to talking, and the lady was like, okay, when did you donate last? Um, January 23rd. Oh, I'm so sorry you can't give because you have to wait till the end of May. I was like, oh, no, I can, I can give. It's okay. Hey, how about you just forget that I just told you when I gave? <laughs> and uh, she's like, oh, that's called lying. I'm like, not really, not really. I'm a preacher. It's okay. <laughs> um, and she's like, I'm sorry. That's not how we do it here. And I'm like, okay. I was like, oh, man. And this lady walks right behind me and says, well, hey, I'm on negative. I'll give to him. Her name was Rachel. I said, oh, Rachel, thank you. Let me tell you a story. I showed a picture of Harrison. I said, you know, just uh, 10 days ago at that point, 10 days ago, he had a little girl. A second little daughter was born. Here's a picture of Harrison. And, here's, and, and she's like, oh, you know, it just broke her heart. And she's like, okay, I'll, that's great. I'll give. And then all the ladies in there were like, we're going to tell everybody to give to him. I was like, yeah, let's kill them all, you know. And, and then, you know what, I, I might have broken a little rule. I'm sorry if I did. I, well, no, I'm not sorry. I did this. I shouldn't have done it. Oops. But, um, the, but I, I made a post on social media uh, on, on uh, Tuesday, and, um, and I used a number that I shouldn't have used, uh, according to HIPAA records, but I, I didn't know that, so I just said sorry. Um, and then we posted to social media about blood's being needed in Houston. And our church members went crazy with that. And then uh, they started sharing it with people they knew in Houston. And then uh, uh, Harrison's dad posted to firefighters and he started sharing it. And, and, and these firefighters started sharing it. And even though we had HIPAA violations on the post, we didn't know we were doing that. And, and, uh, but it solved the problem. There was one lady that took one of our posts, put a different picture on, and it was shared over 32,000 times. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. And, um, and by Wednesday, the blood banks in Houston were no longer taking phone calls because they were just jam-packed with people going, we want to give. I know, that's thankful, little Lord. Sorry for the HIPAA violation. I didn't mean to. But, uh, but, but you know what? It was, we, we, we sat with Harrison and Mallory. And we said, look at how God moved in these small ways. Hey, you know what? God's movement in small things reminds us of God's faithfulness in big things. And see, I think the disciples, they worshiped him. Remembering all the ways that God, that Jesus had moved and now he had conquered the grave. Oh, God, you're faithful in the small. You're faithful in the big. And you know what? When you remember those things, your doubts kind of go away. Or you deal with them more effectively. Let me say it that way. And I think that it's interesting as they worshiped him, then they listened to him. And I say this all the time. We, we've got to allow God's word and 
God's call to shape how we think and how we live. And this is the Great Commission, folks. This is a call that Jesus gave to the disciples. And I don't want to miss that, that this is a call that's still intact. This is a continuous call for believers that started with this group of people. We know the 11 were there, but I'm proposing that there were more than the 11. And, and this is a call that includes us. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, look what he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I think they're going, no kidding. I get it. You have the authority over life and death. And, and, and I think it's very important to note that Jesus makes the statement that all authority is given to me. And we know that Jesus has authority in his teaching. We know this because the people that, that saw him teach said, wait, wait, wait man, Jesus, you, you teach differently. You, you teach like one with authority. You know what, what, what we're learning here? We're learning this valuable lesson to completely trust the authority of Christ. I want you to know, you and I can completely trust the authority of Christ. Jesus had authority in his teaching. The people that heard him teach saw this. Jesus has authority to heal. They watched him heal and, and, and they saw him touch lives. And, and I, I want you to recognize that Jesus has the authority in healing. Jesus has authority over every nation. We saw this in Psalm 9, that, that, that do you realize in the, in the day that we're living with, with all the tensions around the world, let's not forget that Jesus continues to have authority over every nation that ever was or will be. Jesus has authority over Satan and every evil spirit. And we see this in the scriptures that, that the, 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 the evil realm and the evil network that Ephesians 6 talks about, that there's a spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, Jesus has complete authority over that. He exercised it. I remember when he was, remember when he was tempted by Satan himself. Satan is not like God. He's not omniscient. He's not om omnipresent. Satan is one being. Satan's probably never messed with me. I've just had to deal with those punk demons that he's had. But Satan himself tempted Jesus. Luke 4 talks about this. And Jesus, with authority, when Satan tempted him, Jesus said, let me tell you something. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And that's how I see that going down. I don't think Jesus was timid that day. I think Satan tempted Jesus and Jesus was like, what'd you say? What'd you say? And very quickly, Jesus putting Satan in his place. We think it went down like Carmen's version of Sundays on the Way. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember that song, Carmen, Sundays on the Way? I grew up with that. One time we sh shared that with our kids on the way home from Tulsa one time, and they thought we were nuts that, that we actually listened to that. It was a pretty good song in the 80s. 80s? 
But, but, but I don't think that's how it went down because Satan knows he's under the authority of Christ. We see this in Acts 19 when the, those demons were answering the seven sons of Sceva. Remember what those demons said? It said, Jesus, I know. And I've heard about Paul, but who are you? He said to those guys in Acts 19, coolest, one of the coolest stories in the Bible. Let's not forget that Satan submits to the authority of Christ. Jesus has authority over disease. Man, that's something I'm working to remember right now. Jesus has authority to forgive sin, which is so very huge for us. That's why there's forgiveness in no one else. Let's never forget that Jesus has the authority to forgive your sin. He's the only one. Jesus has authority over every life. Jesus has authority over death itself. And I can imagine the disciples coming face to face with Jesus. And even those that doubt were going, okay. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, when you look at this, this whole passage, authority, the authority of Christ is the basis for everything else that follows in this text. We often talk about the moment that a person makes Jesus Lord. In the first service, um, Brady was baptized. Bruce. One of my friends was baptized in the first service. Let me tell you something. That was a work of God in my life to watch that. Bruce used to work with him. And, and, and you know what? We talk about the moment that we make Jesus Lord. But let's not miss the obvious. Jesus is Lord, regardless of what we think about it. He is absolutely Lord. It's why Philippians 2 says this, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when I look at this passage, what Jesus is doing is looking at his disciples saying, you've got to be a great commission person. And folks, we got to be a great commission people. So moms, be a great commission mom. And the reason, one of the reasons that this is so important, you see it all through the scriptures, you see it in this passage. You see it in what we read last week in Matthew 24. We're called to be a great commission people and we've got to take this seriously because let's not be mistaken, time runs out folks. Time runs out. Matthew 24, Jesus said this, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. 
The Bible points to an end, and the Bible points to this real truth that we must not overlook, that God is bringing this world to its appropriate end. And this is why Jesus looks at his disciples that day. And look at verse 16. He says, go, therefore. Let's just read it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, notice this, to the very end of the age. Folks, we're missionaries here. And, and when I think about the call to the mission field, you know where that call begins, right? You have to enter the mission field. And you know, I look at us as a church and, and we are called to this place and we're called to build a church here that, that enters this mission field. I look around this room and we have business leaders. We have teachers. We have um, policemen and firemen and and you name it. We infiltrate all throughout this community. And Jesus grabs his disciples and says, I've got a commission for you. It's a great commission. It's a commission to be a missionary, a commission to, to share the gospel with the world. And you got to go. you got to enter. And I look around us, and there are so many churches that I see that are that are. That are not entering the world where they're, they're called. And folks, we are called to this mission field right here. And it's like what Tim Keller wrote several years ago that has impacted my life. He said, if, if your church suddenly vanished from your community, would anybody notice and would they care? I'm thankful to be a part of a church that is working hard to infiltrate every aspect of this community because the call to, the, to go is a call to, to enter the, the mission field, to accept the call of God. And then, then we go. What do we do? We, we, we share the gospel. We disciple. Um, we build a church. And look at verse 19 again. It says, go therefore. Look at that. Go Therefore, now it's important to pay attention to the grammar and to understand the Greek language right here. It's always helpful, but, but here it's particularly important that this is not just written like it is in English. The, it's not just go, it's as you go. That's what the grammar says, as you go, as you go through your business, as you go through being a teacher, as you go as an, as an athlete, as you go as a student, as you go as a police officer, you name your job, IT worker, you go. And you use the gifts that God has given you as you go. You, you, you go to the place where he's called you as you go. You, you go to the people that he's put in your life. As you go, there's people around you. As you go, you, 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 you live at the time. You embrace the call of God at the time he's called you to live. And I am fascinated that God has called us to live in this world at this time. We live in a world of AI. It's fascinating, right? You know it means artificial intelligence. It's so sophisticated, right? 
You know what the word artificial means? Something that's man-made. It looks like an imitation of something natural. So often we live in a world that is perfecting a distraction from God. And God's called us to go to a world at a fascinating time in the history of the world. And I'll tell you, I pray that we are a faithful, great commission people. Now when I look at this passage, let's not miss this. Let's pay attention as we go. Notice verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations. Let's not miss the fact that as we go, we are called to persuade people to turn to Jesus. You know that's our calling? We live in this world that, hey, don't, don't impart, don't, don't push your beliefs on other people. Yeah, we are. We absolutely are called to persuade people to consider Jesus. Now, we're to do it, like 1 Peter 3.15 says, with gentleness and respect. But folks, let's not miss the calling that we have to persuade this world to look to Jesus. And I pray we're a church that gets really effective and, and, and intentional about persuading a world to look at Christ. It blows my mind. I was with a, a guy one time that was, we were coaching our sons in baseball. Like my son was little. And we were, this guy wasn't a believer and we were just building a relationship with him. And I asked him about faith and he goes, oh, you know what? I'm going to let my son figure all that out on his own. I was like, oh, I'm not. I'm not doing that at all. I'm going to absolutely persuade my kids to consider Jesus for the rest of their lives. And without apology, I looked at all three of my kids and said, look, I can't make you walk with Jesus, but you ought to. You ought to walk with him. You ought to because that's the best thing you can do in your life. And I told them, look, I want you to walk with Jesus not because I'm a pastor. I told all my kids this. Not because I'm a pastor and it makes me look good. I don't care about that. I want you to walk with Jesus because that's the best thing you can do. And moms and dads, don't ever apologize for working to influence your children to consider Christ. I'm not going to, I didn't let them drive by themselves. Go figure it out. Here's the keys, son. That'd be dumb. Why would we take the most important things and let them figure it out on their own? No, let's influence them. And you know what? I'm going to influence my neighbors. I'm going to influence my coworkers to consider Jesus. Now, let's be gentle and respectful. But folks, let's not miss. Let's not buy into that lie. Don't impose my beliefs. No, we are to, him. We are to persuade people to look at Jesus. And I'll never apologize for that, ever. Because Jesus is the, is the only hope anybody has in this life and the life to come. And let me tell you something. This life ain't all there is. Let's persuade people. As you go, make disciples of all nations. We can't just stay here. Hey, do you know that just um, Emily and I interviewed a guy Wednesday, the last episode on my podcast, for our podcast this, this season. We interviewed a guy that's a lawyer. And... 
He's a lawyer for the International Mission Board. And he's, he's using his legal expertise to advance the gospel all over the world. You know, no matter what job you have, and all of us are called to ministry, right? We all are. But can I just put out here today, some of you might be called to go outside of the United States. You know, one of the things I love about being a Southern Baptist is that we have a good, we have a mechanism to help you go to the nations. And let's not miss, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's why I love ELL at this church. We have all nations coming every Wednesday night. You could start by serving there. But folks, let's Let's learn to persuade people. Can I just give you a book to consider that's outside the Bible, but it's a really good book. It's called Tactics. Yeah, write this down. If you want to talk about being a better persuader of people when it comes to faith, Tactics by a guy named Greg Kokel, K-O-U-K-L. Man, look that up. It's a great book. Look at verse 16 or 19. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Look at this. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, as we go, we're called to persuade people to turn to Jesus. But as we go, we're moved to help people follow Jesus. And, and, and you're, to, you're to be baptized. That, that, that's, not a, that, that's, a, that's a mark of obedience. That's when you, you are called to, to obey Christ, put his word into practice. And that's why it was beautiful. It was a huge blessing in my life today to see Brady get baptized in the first service because that was a step of obedience. Have you been baptized? Hey, we got water right here. We got it today. If you want to be baptized today, we got stuff. We'll wait after church and baptize you today if you want. But folks, we, we're called to persuade, to move people, to follow Jesus. And this is something I pray that you do. You follow Christ. Look at verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And, and, and look, as we go, we're, we're, we're compelled to show people how to interact with Jesus. And, and I can imagine the disciples on that day when Jesus said, meet me at Galilee, they were like, we're going and come with us. I guarantee you they didn't go by themselves. And they took those who doubted and they said, let's interact with Jesus. And you know what's amazing about you and I? We get to interact with Jesus. And that's what's so incredible in my own life this week as I faced a challenging week in ministry where I got by myself and said, Lord, I need you because right now I am weak. I got to interact with the Lord and he met me where I was and he changed my perspective. You can interact with Jesus. And what I love this passage, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And Jesus taught us how to interact with him. It reminds me of Matthew 6, 33. I, I guarantee you they had to have thought about that. That Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be given to you as well. And notice the end of this, of verse 20. And behold... I am with you always 
to the end of the age. And as we go, I just see this. In this passage, we're called to persuade people to turn to Jesus. We're, we're called to move people to, to follow Jesus. And, and we're called to, to show people how to interact with Jesus. But you know what else we see in Scripture right here? We're commanded to point people to the second coming of Jesus. Folks, he's coming. He's coming. And it's more truthful than Deion Sanders saying that to the Colorado football team. Jesus is coming. And over and over again in the scriptures, Jesus reminds us that this world is coming to an end. And I can imagine the disciples in this moment as they heard the great commission to go. That call is still intact. And you know what I love this church? I love about this church. You know what the Bible says in 1 Timothy? He says, to younger people, do not let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set the example for the believers in your speech, in your life, in your faith, in your love, and in your purity. You know how we're going to end today? You may be here today and you don't know Jesus. Oh my goodness. He's changed our lives. And you can come to him. You may be doubting in your life. Look, come and sit with us and let us help you. But you know how we're going to end today? We're going to end today by praying. Riley, I want you to come on up, okay? Riley Jackson is headed to Kenya here in, you leave when? A couple weeks? In a week. And uh, Amber, come on up. Come on over here. These are our fifth graders. So we're letting our younger groups, we're going to follow them today. And we're going to let these younger leaders set the, set the example for us as we gather around Riley pray for him as he goes to Kenya. And um, it's not just Riley. Let me tell you who else is going. Avery Johnson is at our Tulsa campus. She's going to Honduras. Tanner Webster and Sierra's girlfriend, they're going to Edinburgh, England in just a couple weeks. Um, Hagen Hood is going to Florida. Emma Jinks is going to Uganda. Grant Beirut is, is in our Tulsa campus. He's going to Honduras. Maggie Wall is going to North Africa. Caden Hudler is going to Mexico. Carson Zumwalt's going to Kennecock for a summer. I'll tell you what, it's time to, time to go, folks. Are you supposed to go? Let us help you. 
But let's gather and pray for them. And in fact, those that are in our prayer team, I want you to go around the room. You may need someone to pray for you. You may be struggling with doubts and just need someone to just pray over you. We have men and women that are around the room that would love to pray over you. Eric and Stephanie, why don't y'all come on down front, please. And um, maybe you just need someone to pray for you. We're here for you. Many of you need to come and just gather around Riley and pray for him. Some need to come and get on your knees and pray for Harrison and Mallory. I need somebody to come and pray for Brenda Williams. We got some needs that I don't even know about. We have families in crisis. We have things to pray for. And this is a moment to seek the Lord. So there's opportunities for you to minister and be ministered to right now. So I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. And Lord Jesus, we give you this time. And I pray that you would move us and move among us. But we need to pray. We need to seek you. Lord, we can meet with you, and we need to do that right now. So Lord, move us. Work in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray.